Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Today, another special day. It's Tuesday, and on Employment Matters podcast, that means Travel Tuesday. Each week, we get the chance to dial in our members from all around the world who share with us some of the important things we need to know about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in Mexico. And I'm pleased to welcome the show, Samuel Flores, a lawyer at Santa Maria Esteta. Samuel, so excited to have you in our show today. How are you? I'm happy to be here. Thankful for the opportunity to connect with your listeners and connect with our ELA community as well. Wonderful. So this show is a great opportunity, Samuel, for us to share. A lot of us have been to Mexico, particularly us in the U.S. It's one of my favorite places. My favorite phrase that I always hear when I get into Mexico is un placer, es un placer. It's a pleasure. And it certainly is a beautiful country, a lot going on. But the business climate as well is significant when you think about how large the population is, its borders with the U.S., as well as its influence on Central and South America. So let's give our listeners a general overview of your jurisdiction. Maybe fill us in on the economy, population. Let's talk a little bit about government. What do you think about that? Great. So I think we should start by discussing the government structure in Mexico. We are a democratic and constitutional republic. So we have the federal government, which is divided in the three well-known powers, that is the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, which is quite similar to what you guys have in the United States. Aside from the federal government, we are a republic that is constituted of 32 federal entities, 31 states, and Mexico City. Each state or each federal entity has its own regulations. However, as each one is sovereign and has the ability to decide on their internal regulation. However, each one of them has to comply or has to be in line with the commitments made by the people in the federal constitution, which is basically the regulation that's provide our principles and the main obligations that the state has and how to provide or how to continue with this federal commitment. So each state also has their own their own branches, basically decided or divided in the same way that the federal government is. Each one has its executive branch, its legislative branch, and its judicial branch. Depending on the nature of any given matter, maybe there are certain things that are reserved to the legislation of the federal level, others we can have regulations in both federal and in state. So, Sam, well, let's talk about kind of the distribution of people there. I mean, again, it's a big place. We've talked about Mexico City being the center. Is the population pretty much evenly distributed across the country or where's the bulk of industry? I would say so. In Mexico, we're around 126, 127 million people. The main metropolitan or urban areas are Mexico City. Guadalajara or Jalisco, and Monterrey, Nuevo León. We also have other states such as the state of Mexico, which as a state or as a whole has the main concentration of people nationwide. And then we have other states such as Veracruz that also has an important amount of people, around 7 million people there. Each state has its own industries and geopolitical importance that allows, depending on what you're looking for, to decide where to settle in. 
Well, let's talk about industries then. Again, my my experience with Mexico, I've been to Mexico City for some business meetings. I've also been to the beach and I've hung out in the tourism area. So my sense is tourism is certainly an important element of the Mexican economy, particularly along the coast. But what other key industries are there in Mexico? Sure. Definitely tourism is one of those. The beaches in Mexico City, Jalisco, Nuevo León, they all have this important income generated from tourism. But aside from that, that it's one of the areas or industries for which we are known worldwide, certainly tourism here is really important. But we also have other industries such as manufacturing. The industry in Mexico is really, really focused on manufacturing either for the automotive industry or others manufacturing areas as well. We have really important mining zones, especially in the north of Mexico, in Sonora, Durango, Zacatecas. Those are states that have traditionally and, and historically been, been important as relates to mining. We also, finance is really important. Basically, that's all centered around Mexico City and the center of Mexico. The construction industry is really important as well and has all different types of, of challenges that is really important to be aware of them and try to get this the operation in Mexico. Let's talk about that because, again, thinking about how close you are to the U.S. and how you're kind of a gateway to Central America and working with Latin America, you've got a lot of culture coming in and out of the country because of its tourism. So say I want to employ locally in Mexico, say I'm a U.S. company or a Canadian company, or maybe someone from Europe. I need to understand what some of the key structural issues I need to be concerned about when employing locally in Mexico. For example, do unions come up or is there affirmative action? Or what are some of the things that I'm going to face as I come into your market as an international company? Sure. I guess union is a really important topic and it's something that has been evolving in Mexico for these past few years, but it may be one of the most important labor-related topics on the criteria of the Ministry of Labor and the new administration of the federal government. It's something that has been evolving quite a lot and tried to get the employees to have a, a better representation or try to guarantee their labor rights. So the union is, I think, the first one of the first things that should be considered. Certainly, there's no right answer as relates to union in, in Mexico. It depends or the organization that a company should, should say while doing business here depends on, on a lot of factors. Not every union can be used, even if it's in the same industry, and, and it's a union that has this great understanding, for example, of the automotive industry. But its strength is, for example, in, in Bajio, or its structure is, is there in Guanajuato. So maybe it is a good union there, but if you're going to start automotive operations in Coahuila or in, in Aguascalientes, for example, it may not be the same kind of union that you need to have these continued operations and, and try to improve your, your workforce and, and the abilities because certainly unions can be very good strategic partners if chosen correctly. So it is really important to analyze the industry in which you are the exposure that you may have to unions in depending on the location that you choose to start your facilities at. And at this point, for example, in 2019, we had 
this reform to federal labor law, which basically came and changed the whole way in which we operated with unions. And now the idea behind this regulation is to try to guarantee the union representation and that employees are really represented by unions that they freely chose to be a part of. So new procedures were implemented to try to guarantee this union representation. And for example, right now, for a union to execute a collective bargaining agreement with an employer, they need to prove before an independent authority that they actually represent at least 30% of the workforce that would be subject to the collective bargaining agreement. So this came to change everything on how we operated here, because now you do need to prove this representativeness. And also it kind of protects business from having unwelcome unions or, or requests of a collective bargaining agreement from a union that did not represent the employees. So this means that depending on the on the analysis that we can make on, on a specific company or a specific operation, you could try to operate union-free as well. If you implement the right strategies and the employees are willing to continue working without the representation of a union, that's certainly something that can be done. It may not be that easy. Certainly, we would need to implement certain strategies to try to prevent any further risk for companies, but it's something that can be done as well. Let's talk a little bit about the business climate. I think this is an interesting question. I always ask my guests, you know, we always hear about you know, unions and how they're there to support the people. And then there's affirmative action things happening. But then we also say, hey, are you trying to attract businesses into your market? And most markets are trying to attract foreign investment and so forth. So it creates this kind of a scale, you know, and I want to get your sense, Samuel, in the general business climate, do you think the scale tips more towards businesses or more pro-business or does it tip more in favor of the employee, more pro-employee rights, for example? In your opinion, which is it, pro-business or pro-employee? I would say pro-business. However, the tides may be changing a little bit. The traditional or historic ratio in, in, in this balance was really to, to protect or, or pro-business and try to avoid having, for, for example, strikes. In Mexico, that was something that in some states, they did not allow strikes to occur. And basically trying to get this foreign investment also had the state governments competing among each other to try to offer better deals for a company that was trying to incorporate or trying to start their operations in Mexico. However, as for example, the, the USMCA came to change a lot of things that it's now allowing these foreign governments such as the United States and Canada to also have the opportunity to judge or reinforce the employees' positions in Mexico. So I think the tides are changing a little bit with this latest reforms and the entry into force of the USMCA. Well, a lot of unions and employees are now getting to realize the, the power that they have and that they're getting the opportunity now to get their voices heard. And that's something that as they get more used to it, Certainly, the balance may tip a little to the pro-worker, pro-employee side. Well, then let's talk about visiting Mexico. And again, the pandemic changed a lot of the ground rules for where anybody went, vacation, business, otherwise, and flying in and out of airports. Certainly, over the last several years, has been quite a challenge. But things are starting to open up around the world now. 
And there are also a lot of employees from one country that may want to work in another country, digital nomads, for example, is what we call them. So let's talk about it from a Mexico perspective. What are the prospects for cross-border opportunities within the region? And let's place some emphasis on immigration. You know, how difficult is it to work from Mexico, to travel to Mexico? Are there any special programs we need to know about? Fill us in on that, if you would. Sure. The options for visiting Mexico are quite flexible, I would say. The general rule is that you do need a visa to enter Mexico. However, as time has gone by, the Mexican government has executed or entered into agreements with other countries to try to exempt from this obligation to have a visa. For example, if you're a tourist from the United States or from Canada or Argentina or, or in other countries that are specifically referred by the immigration office, you don't need a visa to enter as, as a tourist here. There are certainly specific periods. For example, you cannot stay longer than 180 days or if you're only visiting Mexico. But if the intention is to carry out activities for which you can get a compensation, then you need another type of visa to work from here. Well, Samuel, this has been a very interesting conversation, and we're thankful to have a great firm like Santa Maria Esteta. As our ELA representative there, I know you're one of the largest law firms in that market, certainly one of the most prestigious law firms in that region of the world, and we're glad to call you partners. So it was great having you today. Thanks so much for your time. On the contrary, happy to be here and I hope everyone found this useful and hopefully we can connect on another time as well. If you'd like to connect with Samuel, you can find his bio by clicking on his name in the description of this podcast. Also visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars download white papers, get access to our on-demand content, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.